Are you thankful for that name today? Are you thankful for the blood today? Y'all don't sound very convincing. Are you thankful for the name of Jesus? Are you thankful for the blood that was shed on Calvary? Does Calvary still move you? Does Calvary still move you to a place of brokenness? Thank you, Jesus. I want to thank my pastor for this time while he's out preaching. I do not take this lightly. I'm going to be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. And lo, the angel of the Lord came round about them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Someone say, to all people. There we go. Now we're all included. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is a Christmas story. I understand that we're not in December and Thanksgiving. I want to preach to you on Jesus. I want to preach to you on the death of Jesus. Can we lift up our hands and just thank God one more time for this opportunity? Lord, let your word be brought forth. Let your word fall not on deaf ears, God, but let your word be anointed. Your word is already anointed. Help our ears to hear and help our eyes to receive. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. In the book of Matthew, chapter 2, we begin to read about some wise men, some magi who are following a star, and the star leads them into a, a court, Herod's court, and uh, they spill the beans about a Messiah, and they leave and they go on their way, and, and King Herod comes up with the plan to take care of the Messiah. See, the, the Messiah was going to replace the, the throne that he was sitting in, and, and uh, history teaches us that that uh, Herod was an evil man. He was a sick man. He, he couldn't ride a horse. He, he, he couldn't get up out of his chair. In fact, history says that it was better to be a pig of Herod than a son of Herod. That tells you that was kind of a, of a he's not a good father. So these wise men, they walk into his court, and Herod notices these men coming in from the back, and he gets all dignified, and he said, ah, from where did you come? Oh, we come from a long way. We come from dusty, desolate roads. Yeah, but how long did you come? For an ant, it's two feet. For a snake, it's three miles. For a man, it's 100 miles. How far did you all come? Well, we, we, that doesn't matter. We, we come to find he who was born king of the Jews. And Herod takes a step back. Yeah, that's me. You come to worship me. It is I, the king, you, you come to worship. Well, I mean, the, the one we're looking for can't be no more than this long. And... And he can't be no older than, than two years old. And uh, king of the Jews, and it's, it's not me. Uh, yeah, we've been traveling a long ways, and we've been searching for a long time. See, these prophets wrote about a man that's going to come, and he's going to save us. We've heard about this Messiah. We don't know where he is. We don't know where he's at. We don't even know if he's even born yet. But we're going to search for him, search for the Messiah. Does anyone have that mentality today? I'm going to search for Jesus. It's been a long time. I have some brokenness in my heart. I've got some anxiety and depression. But I know that there is a Messiah out there. I don't know how long it's going to take, but if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to find this Jesus Christ. 
don't worry, servants in hand. So the, so the Magi go out, they go about their business, they leave, and, and Herod and all the surrounding princes and the kings and, and all the governors, they're, they're starting to wonder, and, and who is this Messiah, and, and where is he at? La, bring him here. Let, let's bring him here. I want all my scribes and my lawyers, I want you to figure out where this king of the Jews is going to be, and I want you to bring him here. So gather the mothers of Bethlehem, he said. We will bring them to my courts, and we're going to show them a good time. My scribes and lawyers tell me that he is from Bethlehem, and we're going to get him. Historians tell us that this was a manner in which he slayed all the children. It is believed throughout some places that over tens to hundreds of thousands of babies were, were murdered during this time. But because of the size of Bethlehem and, and, and the, the, the birth rate and the mortality rate of the men, of the children, boys that were there, there couldn't have been no more than 20 to 40 children that were died. So how easy would it have been to take care of Herod's problem? He invites him to a dinner from dusty, dusty, desolate roads. He sends an invite to a ball. The mothers get this. They get this invitation. And, and if you could imagine with me, you, 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 could, you could see the women. My little man's going to be honored in Herod's court. I know it's a long way, and, and Daddy can't take off work, but my little sister, she's going to pack the tent. We're going to load the camels. And, and when we get to Herod's court, when we get to the place that we're trying to get to, he's going to honor my son. And knowing the story, knowing the, 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 the killing of the innocents, you know the story. You begin to sit back and you begin to, to question the mothers. Is this really what you're doing with the gift that God gave you? Playing games while Messiah is out there. We don't want to admit it. In fact, most of us are blind to it. We have Herods ruling our thrones. Natural things move us and physical things control us. We're trying to play volleyball with the spiritual things and the carnal things. And we forget that Messiah is out there. A son was born to be given. Herod introduces himself personally. He bows his head to each of the ladies. Now, reminder, these are peasants. They've never seen the inside of a court. They've never seen the inside of a palace. Can you see the crystal all over the tables, mama? Can you see the purple and the fine linen? Can you see the news? Can you see what's being broadcasted? Society doesn't care anymore. Can you see? It's been 20 minutes. Minutes turn into days. Days turn into months, and you're still looking at the gold. You're still looking at the silver while Messiah is out there. And we wonder why our joy and our anointing and our passion is slowly dying. We have Herod on our throne, and we put Jesus on the second-place shelf. He said, now, ladies, you have no fear. We have provided you with the best babysitting that this kingdom can offer. Hand your son off at a soldier. They'll take care of him. Don't you worry. We're going to take real care of them. I want you to enter into the ball, and I want you to go and look at the courts, and I want you to begin to eat and drink of my wine. And they were drunk within a few minutes, falling over each other, looking for attention from Herod. All the while, the soldiers began to walk over to the balcony, take their son and toss him into the courtyard and begin to stack those babies up. And when they seen that there was life still moving in that pile of babies, the guards would walk down and they would grab the heel of that promise, of that son, of that anointing, and they would slam its head against a brick wall until there was no life. It is believed that Herod was so scared of losing his own throne that two of his sons were involved in this mass killing. 
It was heard all throughout Bethlehem. There has never been a cry in the world like the cry of those women when they began staggering to the balconies, looking at what they had done to their sons, all over revival that was born in Israel, all over a Messiah that was born. These over here were singing and rejoicing the birth of the Messiah, and these were mourning the loss of their sons. Rejoicing over here and mourning over here. They're not focused on the healing. They're focused on Jesus. We're focused on what God can do for us. And we lost him in the mix of everything. But they're rejoicing over the birth of Christ. We know that it's not just about healing. We're living for a hope that is beyond this time. And Jesus is going to be here. He's coming. He's here. Forgive me. All those mothers staggered onto the balcony. Historians tell us that they looked through their drunkard eyes, and when they seen what happened, they themselves dove over the balconies, looking through the carnage until they recognized the face of their own son. When they picked it up, they held him close and walked back to Bethlehem where Messiah was born. Herod had the right idea. He had the right idea, but he had the wrong intention. He was going to find Jesus at any cost. But he had no intention on worshiping him at his feet or putting him on his throne. Speeding through this, all the while an angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream. Go and flee from this land. Throughout the Gospels, it is understood that Jesus had no earthly possessions. He tells us that the foxes have their dens and the birds have their nest. But I have nowhere to lay my head. He tells us that I have nowhere to lay my head. In fact, they had to borrow a tomb when he died. In today's society, he would have been considered a pauper, a nobody, a misfit. When asked about being a king, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus teaches. He preaches. He heals the leopards and he opens eyes. He speaks and storms are calmed. He speaks and the dead are raised. He delivers possessed men. He visits a woman at the well and offers her rivers of living water. He speaks, come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and I am lowly in heart. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. The anxiety that you walked in here with, the pain that you you walked in here with you walked in the cut in the right place you want to follow after Jesus you can't follow after him until you first come unto him and I believe you come into the right place everything he did on this earth was pointing to a hope that is beyond this moment quickly moving to the end will you imagine with me Imagine being in Gethsemane. The prayer that he prayed in the garden is an example to us all. Listen to him wail. Listen to him cry like a poor animal caught in a trap. Like, like a defenseless pet. Like an abandoned child. He's crying in the garden, not my will. I don't want to die. Not my will. And he's fighting, but, but the world needs a Christ. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. But if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Does Calvary still move you? When you think about the cross and you think about a man on the middle cross dying, does it still move you to a place of repentance? Does it still move you to a personal denial, self-denial? If it doesn't still move you, we need to get back to the cross. We need to get back to understanding what the blood was and understanding what the purpose was. He knew why he was here. He came to die. He wasn't here to gain some earthly kingdom. He said, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight and we would win. I mean, that's just how it, how it was. My servants would fight. He knew where his kingdom was. He knew what the goal was. Even knowing all of this, do you think he wanted to do it? You could tell by his crying and his praying and his pleading. The drops of blood began to fall from his brow during the anguishing fight in Gethsemane. The greatest battle wasn't the cross. It was when he was wrestling with this flesh. The most traumatic experience that will ever happen in your life is when you wrestle your mind and your flesh. Who is going to be the ruling factor? Who is going to be king and sit on the throne of my life? The task is standing in the pew right where you are, trying to decide, am I really satisfied with sleepless nights? Am I really satisfied with empty pill bottles and the puncturing needles? Am I really satisfied with a pit in my stomach when I wake up? Will you listen to the distracting songs the sirens of this world sing at you? Or will you listen to the beautiful song of holiness that drew you closer to a bloody cross of personal self-denial? He's on the cross. The sky is dark. Some are standing. Some are sitting and some are going home. The chief priests are about finished with their mockery looking at the cross, saying to themselves, yeah, we got it done. History is going to be good to us for getting rid of this imposter. I know he had a following, but when they realize that he is flesh and blood and that he could die, they'll understand that he is an imposter. Make sure he's dead, soldier. Yeah, you, soldier, make sure he's dead. The soldier already leaning on his spear. He watches the dark sky and a mean streak of lightning from one earth of heaven to the other. That lightning kind of screams destiny, you know. Then he looks back up at the cross and he sees a man swinging from consciousness to unconsciousness. His head is nodding back and forth. He's dying. They don't need to worry about him. He, he's, about, he's about expired. He's about done. Then the soldier looks down at the foot of the cross there's plenty of blood, plenty of blood. In fact, a pool of blood. The earth was, was, was thirsty and dry and broken, and, and the blood still pooled there that the ground could not drink at all. It was red. The, the blood's turning black now. He's been there for several hours now. His muscles are ripping and tearing, and his, his skin is beaten and broken, and, and his, his cheeks are almost like they cover his eyes, and, and, and it. He's showing his pain in his eyes. He, his anguish in his eyes. He wasn't given a pill. He wasn't given Tylenol. All them crucifixes that show a peaceful Jesus, it was not peaceful. It was anguishing. It was painful. All the weight of sin of this world was resting on him. You say you no one knows what your depression feels like he did. 
You say no one knows your, per- your hurt or your pain. He did. You got backslidden children. I did. I, he knew that pain. He went to die on the cross for them. He went to bleed for them. If you're in this church and you don't have the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, he went to the cross for you. He went to the cross so you could sleep well at night. He went to the cross so you could come, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. The soldier notices a dark cloud over the temple. I wonder what that's about. I wonder what that dark cloud's about. Streak of lightning shouts destiny travels the sky. Even the soldiers are getting a little freaked out. Men that are trained in offensive weaponry. Men that were used to the the sounds of dying horses and wounded men were being freaked out by what was happening. What is all this happening for? It seems like it's centered around a man dying on a middle cross. Then it happens. He speaks. His voice echoes louder than the rolling thunder as though destiny is waiting on this one man to die. His eyes are are fading in and out, and he he begins to look, and he begins to see faces. As he scans the faces, he he notices the faces, the, the face that he recognized, the first face that he ever remembered. We can pray, and we can repent, and we can deny and deny, and we could repent, and repent, and we can pray, and we could come to an altar, and, and, and cry, and go home, and we could continue to do the same things that, that we're doing, because before our utter sacrifice to God, there is one thing that we have not yet been able to send away, and she was at his cross. She gave him his blood, his colored eyes. She's the one that, that tenderly wrapped him in swaddling clothes from her own undergarments, She was the one with hungry eyes looking for a 12-year-old boy. Heard him teaching like a master of the law. She was in her worried tone. Son, where have you been? Where were you? I, I was worried sick about you. He said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? She was more than rebuked. She became informed because Jesus knew that she was not all that life held. She was not the most beautiful reason. There were things pinned in him of eternal value that made all earthly things seem a little less than they could be, even his mother. She was the last thing, the last origin of his flesh. She suffered and she travailed and she birthed him. And she she gave him his name and, and where he is. And where he is, do you know the greatest deed? He was at the cross. This was his greatest deed. He's come to the greatest consummation of his life. The real purpose of it all. Calvary was the reason he came. Calvary was the reason he preached. Calvary is the reason that he takes. And he comes to it now. He comes to his death. But before he can die, there's one last thing he can do. Sir, behold my mother. I give her away. I give her away. I surrender the most precious, beautiful thing in my life completely for a heavenly cause. A Messiah was born and a son was given for you and for you. And if you do have the Holy Ghost, but we're just a little little far off, it's okay. 
it's okay because when Brother Josh comes and preaches and he opens this altar, I want you to come and I want you to lay everything down. Brother Alex talked about it not too long ago. Death. I'm surprised. I love the story of Jesus because it was all about death. If we could understand that death and our own compromise and our own flesh, then we understand that the things of God can come to pass. Brother Josh, save me right now and take us away. Let's raise our hands. Let's open up our mouths and begin to worship God right now. Thank you for that word, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. If there's one thing about it that you can be assured of is that Christ loves you. When you look at the cross and you look at all the things that he did, you can look at yourself, even all the mess-ups, all the circumstances that you've done in your life, you can say, God truly loves you me. Amen. I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 8 and uh, verses 38 through 39. If you want to read with me, you can. It says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor nor, nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other thing shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If I could just speak to you for just a few moments to end this service, I'd like to speak to you on this this question. Are you convinced? Are you convinced? I'll never forget a few years ago, some of us guys in the church were having what we would call a very manly conversation. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been a part of something like that, but it's quite interesting if you've ever been in a very manly conversation. And uh, I remember we were talking about who do we think we could take and who do you think we could beat up and who do you think who, who could beat who and whatever else. And, and I, I'll never forget it. Somebody stood up and said, I believe I can take a wolf with my bare hands. <laughs> Amen. I wasn't going to say names to hold somebody's help, but... Amen. Now you know. So, so, so Brother Matt stands up and he says, I believe I can take a wolf with my bare hands. And I'll never forget all of us guys were looking at him like you are out of your mind. There's no way you can take a wolf with your bare hands. And, and every time we would say something to him, we'd say, no, you can't, you can't beat a wolf. Look at the teeth that he's got. Look at the claws that he's got. Look how big they are and heavy they are. And every time we would try to persuade him in another direction, he always had the same statement. It was, I am confident that I can take a wolf. Now, I don't know if yet that he's taken a wolf. Have you ever had to fight one yet? But he's not convinced anymore. And here on my notes is, I wonder if we would ask him today, what would his statement be? Well, this just went the opposite direction that I was hoping for. (laughs) Dear Lord, help me. I'm in trouble now. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. 
But either way, he was still convinced, even though we tried to persuade him in another direction. He was still, he was still convinced. Maybe he felt strong that day. I don't know what it was, but he, he was still convinced that he could take that wolf. I am still convinced today that there is only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I'm still convinced today that that name is Jesus. I am still convinced today that he is still pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. I am still convinced today that he is using the church just as much as he was using the early church. I wish somebody would help me this morning. I am still convinced today that the only way to be saved is to repent and to be born again of water and of spirit. And that is to be baptized in the name of Jesus and to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. So I ask you the question, are you still convinced today? Hallelujah. You want to know why I'm still convinced? I'm not simply convinced because I read it in the book. I am convinced because at the age of seven years old in a small town of Kentucky, I sat in a back pew all by myself and began to seek God for this Holy Ghost that I heard all of my life. And I asked him, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you help me? And at the age of seven years old in a back pew by myself, I began to speak with another tongue as the Spirit Spirit of God gave me the utterance, and I was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm convinced not because I've read it, but because I've experienced it too. So I ask you the question, are you still convinced today? I ask you the question, do you still believe that the blood can cover a multitude of sins? Do you still believe that God is changing lives? Do you still believe that God can take your circumstance and completely take it a different direction? Do you still believe that God heals? Do you still believe that God's a deliverer? Then I wonder if we couldn't just raise up our hands and begin to worship God right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm still convinced that God does great things. I'm still convinced that God uses his church. Hallelujah. I'll never forget the story of the woman with the issue of blood. The scripture says that she was battling sickness for over 12 years. And she went to every doctor and every physician. She tried to find as much help. And and the scripture doesn't say specifically on how she heard about this Jesus. It doesn't uh, specifically say how she heard about him. But the scripture does say that she knew that he was the answer to her sickness. And the scripture says that when she heard the call of Jesus, she ran and she touched the hem of his garment. And at that very moment, her body was made whole. I believe it was because she was 100% convinced that he was the answer. I believe it was because she was 100% convinced that Jesus was the answer to her problem. 
I don't know what you've come looking for today, but I'm going to give you some words of advice. Jesus is the only answer that you need. Hallelujah. I don't know what sickness you have in your body, but I believe that you can be healed today. I'm convinced that he's still a healer. I'll never forget the time my mom was dying in a hospital bed of, in a coma. And the doctors told our family that she would most likely never live. And if she did live, she would be a vegetable for the rest of her life. And I'll never forget when our father told us that. And he said, I'm going to go to the hospital and pray for your mom. And he took my grandfather with him. And he, uh, he said, Pops, I'm not leaving this room until she's healed. He said, I'm not leaving this bedroom until she's healed. And, and he went into the hospital room, and they began to pray. And, and my grandpa said that the spirit was so strong in there. He said, I just had to get out of the room. And uh, my grandpa leaves, and he said it wasn't much longer, it wasn't much later, that he said, your dad, come out of that room. And he looked at me, and he said, Pops, he said, she's awake, and she's doing good. I believe that God's still a healer. I believe that God still heals. And thanks be unto God, she's sitting back there right now still to this day because somebody was convinced. Because somebody was convinced. Because somebody was convinced that he was the answer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I am convinced today that Jesus, as he was the answer then, he is still the answer now. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 26, we find that Paul was in a trial. And Paul was speaking to King Agrippa in his trial and the scripture says that King Agrippa speaks to Paul and he says, I'm going to give you some time. He said, I'm going to give you some time to tell me why you're here. I want you to defend yourself. If you've ever been in a courtroom or you've ever watched a, a series, they allow the person who is trying to defend their circumstance, they allow them to speak and to defend. And that's where Paul was. He was, he was trying to defend where he was or why he was there. And so the scripture says that Paul begins to speak to King Agrippa about his testimony on how God changed him and how God delivered him and how God took him from killing Christians to trying to save as many people as he could. And we look at this scripture and, and we say, man, this is sad that Paul was imprisoned and it's sad that, that Paul was, was there and he's in trial. But that wasn't the saddest part of the scripture. Because after Paul had spoken his testimony to King Agrippa, King Agrippa looks at him. He looks at him and he says, Paul, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. You almost convinced me to do something more than just be a king. You almost convinced me to lay down my life and to give it to Christ. You almost convinced me, Paul, 
to do something great. You know what the saddest thing in life is? Is that there's people that are sitting on the edge of their pew. People that are sitting on the edge of their seat and they're almost there to give their life completely to God. But they're at the place of almost. Instead of completely being convinced that he is the answer. Do you realize today that there are people in this room that are sick in their body and they're almost to the place of being convinced that God will heal them, but they're almost there. You know what the most dangerous place in your life is? Almost doing the will of God in your life and not doing it. You know what the most dangerous place in your life is almost living for God with everything that you've got. And it's a tragedy that somebody will preach their heart about the cross. And then there's people that will almost be persuaded instead of completely be persuaded. But you want me to tell you something in this room? I am convinced. I am convinced. I am convinced that if you need the Holy Ghost, he'll fill you with the Holy Ghost. I am convinced that you need a healing in your body. He still heals. I am convinced that if you give your life to him, he will lead you and guide you. And so I ask you the question today. Are you convinced? Are you convinced that where your relationship is with God is where it should be? Or is it sitting in the back of your mind? I know I could do more. You know what it is? You know what would be a tragedy? If people left this place but didn't leave changed. You know what would be a tragedy? If you were on the edge of your seat saying, if I could just hear one word different. If I could just hear the preacher preach a little harder. If I could have just heard that song that I needed to hear, then I would change. You know what we need? We need people of God that will say, I will surrender everything unto him because I'm convinced that what I'm living for is really all that matters. I'll tell you something. I'll be transparent today. One of my greatest, tri one of my greatest trials and circumstances that I have faced is wondering if I really had the real. Asking myself, do I really have what the old church had? And doubt begins to come into your mind because you may not be seeing the miracles and the signs and the wonders that they saw in your life. But let me tell you something. The enemy will use that to cause your faith to be diminished. It was this week that I was praying, and you can ask my wife. The Lord woke me up at 2.24 in the morning, and I said, Honey, I believe God's speaking to me. And I went in the living room, and I began to pray for this service. And I said, God, I want you to move, and I want lives changed, and I want the power of the Holy Ghost, but I don't feel confident. 
And he said, Josh, I never gave you a counterfeit. I never gave you something that wasn't real. When I filled you with my spirit, I gave you the real. But he said, you have been battling with not being convinced. But today I stand before you. And I tell you right now in the Holy Ghost that what the early church had, I have. And what the early church had, we have. We have it. We have it. We have the real. But I ask you the question today, are you convinced? Are you convinced that you have the real? Because if you're convinced, you can do mighty works in his name. If you're convinced, there ain't nothing you can do. If you're convinced. Can we all stand today? I know this is a next generation service. And so I want to kind of point towards our next generation. You know, if there's anything that we battle with in life, it's doubt. Because the world's a counterfeit. Because the world is a counterfeit. But he is real. And he is the truth. And what you have in you is the real. But let me tell you something. You can do mighty things of God. I'm telling you, there are pastors in this room. There are prophets in this room. There's evangelists in this room. There's teachers in this room. There's the five-fold ministry in this room in this next generation. But you need to be convinced of one thing, that what you have is the real. What you have is the real. And when you are convinced of that, you won't have to worry about praying for someone and then be healed because God will just do the rest for you. When we're convinced that we have what it takes. You know why many people leave unchanged, unmoved, and unaffected? Because they just simply weren't convinced. If there's anything that I've taken from this service today, I take that He is willing to help you, to strengthen you, to lead you, to guide you in every circumstance of your life. But the question is for you today, are you convinced? Are you convinced? My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this building. <laughs> For I am persuaded that neither life nor death or any other thing will separate me from the love of God. I wonder if we couldn't come to this altar today. And I wonder if you're questioning
I want you to ask the Lord right now, Lord, I may not be completely convinced, but would you show me? Would you show me? Would you help me? In Jesus' name, I pray. I pray, Lord, that they're convinced. If they're convinced that you're the only one that they need, that you can heal their bodies, that you can touch their spirits, that you can take away their addictions. In the name of Jesus.